episode number 133 of the Tartan Running Shorts podcast, hosted by Tom Bryan and myself, Kyle Gregg. So, Tom, we've got some uh, Wi-Fi back, eh? We've got lots of, you've got lots of gigabytes, unlimited oh, Holly, gigabytes, eh? Holly, disaster last week, eh? Holly, mother bleeping Louia. <laughs> hello, Kyle. Listeners, do you know what? Last, as I was bitching and moaning in the last episode we did, my, I was operating on, on 4G on my phone and it cut out literally as I said, like, thanks for listening. And uh, that was it. That was my data used up for the last two, three weeks. So I've got fiber installed. I can see Kyle in high definition tonight. So we're, we're cooking on gas again. Oh, we, we are. And, and what, a, what a great, you know, not only are we cooking on gas, my haggis, my, my haggis is cooking at the moment. Okay. My neeps and tatties, my whiskey's ready oh. to go. Um, and you know you, you've got a you've got a fantastic Burns Night special, folks, uh, to get you through the you know the the dull weeks of January. Eh? What I wouldn't give for haggis tonight, mate. I'm, I don't even have whiskey. Actually, when you messaged me saying, "Oh, should we get a have a wee dram on the show as Kyle sips a beer?" I, he, he sat, Kyle sent me a message. There's a effing six o'clock curfew here, so after six you can't go out. There's nothing open, and oh. uh, I keep because I'm jet. We'll come to my running woes. In a minute, because I'm generally working till six, it means that if by the end of the day I've got nothing in the house, I'm done. So <laughs> I I really had no beer, no whiskey, so I'm I'm very envious of you. What what that that haggis I sent you? Is it not arrived yet? <laughs> no. Is it still in quarantine? Is it has it been refused yeah. entry? Food stuffs at the at the, the European border, I guess. A, a, a positive result, perhaps. Yeah, indeed. But uh, you know. You know what though? So it's the it is indeed Burns Night as we as we uh, as we record. And firstly, kudos to any of you who have completed the Run Rabby Run, the, the inaugural first ever Run Rabby Run. And uh, saw on Facebook today one Kyle put up a post about it, which was cool. And there was one of the guys, a guy from our old, from my from our club, uh, Quentin Chalmers, who's on his uh, he's on a bit of a run streak, and it's got him. So I think he's he must have done marathon and Run Rabby Run back to back, which is cool. That is decent. He's he must be an absolute machine right now. Eh? Oh, talk about that's the thing. These these I think I think streaks for streaks' sake can be a bit nonsensical. But sometimes when you do when you do one like this, that force it almost just jump starts you to get into shape. Yeah, I think so. Um, I also like the you know okay, it's only a month, but the the consistency with with these sort of things as well. Um, you know, it's, it's, science doesn't lie. You know, if you've, you've got a consistent streak, even if you have a couple of days off over the, the last few weeks or a few months, a few years, the consistency always um, always prevails. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, that's, although you don't have to run every day, I think the theme of, of being consistent with your training is really important. Um, so I think... Totally. It, it, it kickstarts everyone, even even though there's not that many races, you know, in, in the next kind of few weeks or if not months, I think we should still strive to be, you know, get into a reasonable shape and because it makes you feel better. You know, it makes you feel better when you're feeling a bit healthier and you're doing a bit more exercise. But as I know, you know, it's, it's really nice to have some time off as well. So everyone's different, I would say. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm laughing here because speaking of races, do you know what? This is a this is what happens when you're not part of the running community out here. So I was due to do a cross country yesterday. The, is it yesterday? The, it was supposed to be yesterday. Regional ah. cross champs. 
and it was cancelled. And uh, for, you know, that's that was not unsuspecting, not on uh, unexpected. Sorry, so fine. Anyway, I went for a long run yesterday, and these and these bastards, including folk at the club, are doing uh, a secret cross country race under the under the hat because I'm not like in any WhatsApp groups or. Oh, you weren't part of it. No, no chat about it, and I'm out running a long run. Like, oh, there's a he runs for Team Langland. He runs for Team Langland. And then there's a few people going, ale, 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 I'm like, they're racing. They're absolute bastards are racing. So there is an underground racing circuit, but the sad thing is I'm not part of it. <laughs> You've chosen your friends badly, Tom. Well, you know what? The thing is, I've kind of like, uh, you know, I mean, I go to training and they've been, I've been getting like messages from a few of the, the guys individually saying, oh, you should join us for a long run the weekend. But there must be like a WhatsApp group like every every club knows there's a, there's a WhatsApp group to be part of, and I'm clearly not in it yet. So that's maybe next time I'm at training. Now. And I wasn't at training on Saturday morning because I had a why did I not go on Saturday morning? Anyway, there was a, I couldn't I didn't go on Saturday right, morning. So I might so I might have uh, if I'd gone on Saturday morning I might have heard about it. But anyway, so yeah, I I that race was done and the race I was going to be racing this coming weekend actually as well. There's the regional 10k champs. It's been postponed till the tenth. Just that, just after I've got my racing license, mate. I've got a racing license. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have you got a photo in it? No, it's just a little card with your. It basically means you can. You don't have to worry about all the medicals and that. It just bypasses that and sorts you out. So. Right. Anyway, by, it's uh, postponed to the tenth of April. So I'm now in the bucket as everyone else. No races. No races. Ah. Do you know what though? You know, it, I mean, this training's training's quite you know something that we need to look look forward to, even though. And that's something that I've tried to do is to try and mix my training up a wee bit and vary my sessions and have a plan in the hope that when April comes, I've got something to to aim for and something to shoot for. But if it doesn't, then I just maintain some sort of consistency. Yeah, consistency from then, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. So, um, but uh, but I mean, yeah, I mean, well, go, go back to you then. I one one question, and I'm sure some of the listeners will want to know this too. Um, in terms of the sort of training that you're doing with with the club, what's what's that training look like? And in, in kind of what we spoke about the dynamics of, you know, training and and you know in the club format and things. But what about like the actual sessions that you're doing? Are they, are, is everyone in the same playing field, or do they split the groups up? And or are, are they all like doing? Are you all doing like a ten k session and then, you know, a a, a long run hard steady run in the weekend what, what, what's it look like so it's it's at the moment everyone is in a in a 10k bucket essentially they've said look there's no races so we're just going to put everyone through a 10k block and actually it's been quite refreshing for me i've you know someone who's I, you know i was thoroughly enjoyed i was coached the last couple of years by robbie simpson if i jump back into a marathon block I'm, i may do it again but at the moment just i'm just going and i'm literally doing exactly what the club training is and quite often i don't find out till the day which is quite, which is pretty cool, actually. Um, you know, I know that Central operate like that. You rock up and just do the session. So it's, it's all 10K related. There's two groups, basically 37 minutes and faster, and then the slower group is slower than 37 minutes. So the group I'm in are doing things like it's eight by a K on the track. We did a session uh, four, four or five, five by 200, 300. So 200 meter interval, sorry, 300 meter interval, 200 meter interval. Now I can't remember the last time I did a 200 meter rep. Like, you know, that's, and uh, that was a bit of a shock for the system. Um, and actually, what's been the other thing that's quite telling, I've probably been in the track more in the last month than I have been in the last two, three years. Because wow. I, I never trained on the track. 
But the reason is, right, the tracks here, they're walk-on. So there's a track on a, wow. uh, the Ile, Ile de Poteau, is a, is a wee island in the Seine just next to where we are. There's a walk-on track there. Superb tartan track. Walk straight yeah. on it. There's the track that the club train at, team, the Suzanne Lengland Stadium. There's a track there. Walk-on free. And what's amazing, right, on a, sa a Saturday morning, there must be, there's at least four or five different groups using it when we're on it. Some are, there's Nordic walkers. There's a game of football in the middle. There's some people yeah. doing weights at the side. It's a, this one, these omni-sport type areas. And there are so many groups. And it, it works. You just crack yeah. on and everyone is aware everyone of other groups. And, and, and I, I look back to in Aberdeen and, you know, at the Sports Village, which is a shambles on a Tuesday night. At Metro Aberdeen, one of my big frustrations as captain and as chairman was our, we, our juniors could barely get on the track because apparently the SFA referees have got the track booked. A group of people who don't even need a, a, a set distance. Yeah, apparently, oh no, you can't have two different groups on. And this is before COVID. You can't yeah. have two different, they've paid for the track so no one else can use it. Yet here, people, everyone's just cracking on with it. You know, you're doing a 400 meter rep flat out and you've yeah. got folk all over the place, but you're just weaving around them. And it's interesting. It's really, it's really been quite a telling, it's been quite interesting just to see that, how that the club operates like that. And because it's, you know, I'll be, I'll be quite honest here. I was, I've gone from Metro, 25 pound a year membership, so yeah. Team Langland, 170 euros a year is the membership for Team Langland. Wow. That gives you, that's in your first year. I think it goes down mm -hmm. in the second year. You pay, mm -hmm. That gives you a club vest. Mm -hmm. I've, got a pair of, I've got a pair of Team Langland socks out of it. I've got a Team <laughs> Langland, I've got a Team Langland hat. Got a pair of pants on it. And uh, it also pays for your French Federation athletics license. Wow. Very good. So, so by definition, if you're a member, you, you're, you're licensed, you're affiliated. So it's an interesting model. And every year the clubs send... I think a lot of clubs in Paris do this, or in France. Every year, the club will have our race that they're going to. I think this year, the plan is the Valencia Marathon, and they will pay for everyone to go to it wow. because they raise funds for these sort of things. So really quite an interesting um, setup. Uh, is that, is that like extended throughout the, the country then, or is that just you know, one? I mean, I think so. Phenomenally. Um, well, if you take, let's take... Club. So uh, there's about, let's say there's 100 members all paying 170 euros. You know, so that's, that's you know, that's a lot of moolah in yeah. terms of like it, for, for doing things. And I, I look at, I think a lot, you know, clubs in Scotland do that. And we, and we don't even, I think I may, the club may pay a contribution to that track that we just walk onto. I, I don't know, but it's a free I track. They, cool. It was like in Chamonix, eh? like, you know, the track, you just walk onto them. and Exactly. It's, it's brilliant. Like I really like that setup. I think mm. why should you have to pay to get on a running track? Absolutely. I, mean, I think that's the fitness, health and fitness and um and in all the you know no one's paying more or less because everyone's entitled to use it. Whereas in yeah. not not just saying in Aberdeen, but I'm sure we all have it's the athletics in Scotland. They all see some issues with using the track and everyone using it fairly mm -hmm. and, and at the same time can be a, a real challenge. But um, I, I know, you know, what, running in some of the tracks in Europe, running, there's a game of football on, you just have to look out for the ball. Yeah, the the ball it. might go under your feet, but it's a risk that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take. But exactly. at the same time, you know, a, a buzzard can slam me in the head when I go out for running uh -huh. the trails. So. And exactly. And the thing is, it's not like, you know, if so, if a ball hits me on like the eight, the I don't know, the sixth of eight, four hundred meter reps or whatever, how many I'm doing, yeah, it would annoy me. But it's not the end of the world. 
No. Whereas I'm pretty sure that one of these race, these owners is a race, and you kind of you just crack on. How many times have I done a session at Duffy Park and a kid on a trike is spewed out in front of me, or a dog with a leash? I mean, you just crack on these things. So I think it's a really it's anyway. I really I really enjoyed jumping on the track. I really enjoyed doing the short sharp stuff. In terms of fitness, I don't really know where it puts me, but I've been doing reasonable mileage. And in terms of getting miles in, what's cool is I'm still in that like tourist mode. So I ran last Sunday, did like a 20 miler. I went over to the other side of Paris. There's a the, the Bois de Vincennes or Vincennes, I think it's called. It's like another big park. I went over there. Yeah. I took this raised garden, which is about three kilometers long through the middle of Paris. It's an old railway line turned into a yeah. garden. So oh. it was really cool to run through that. And then I ran back along the Seine. And there's like a road along the Seine that's closed on the weekend. And like, there's so many runners on it. It's really like real running city. So oh, nice. that was good. And then on Saturday, uh, this week I went, uh, this weekend I went to more up to Montmartre, which is like a bit of a hike actually. I forgot up to the Sacre Coeur. Yeah. Great view of Paris. That was nice. And then, um, uh, yeah. Then of course, during the week last week, I was down on business to the Pyrenees. We've got a base down there in Poe with work. So I was running around there, which was cool. Um, so yeah, yeah he runs up the hills. No, I didn't. I, I mean, with Kurt, again, snowy anyway. Well, with Kurt, it was it was very snowy, stunningly. They look very tempting the mountains right now, but it was uh yeah, I was down with work and with the uh, the curfew, you can't get out. But no, I'm getting I'm getting the miles in. I'm I'm and I'm I'm starting to get uh, to grips with the, the routes as well. So no, it's good. And also, I bought we I bought a bike. I bought a fixie. <laughs> fixie <laughs> bike, yeah. Absolute hipster commute. Yes. Is it a foldy up one? No, no, it's uh, oh. it's not foldy up, but it's it's taking some getting used to. Uh, but it's cool. I'm again. I want to I want to commute to work. I'm not going to use public transport. And when how far away is it work? So the new office, the current office is only about a mile and a half away. Actually, what? And you're using a bike. You should be running there. Well, the the thing is, the new office is going to be 10k away. And although I don't, I probably will run that most days. I kind of like the idea of if I'm short on time. Not I still having an option that's better than public transport. Well, you, Tom's looking awful strapping for a Burns night. That's that's for sure. He's got uh-huh. his uh, he's got his greatest he's got his, his greatest attire on for me at night. Eh? He says that I'm in I'm in a jumper that says Milling Squad from it's a rig jumper. It's, it's the absolute. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, enough about me. How's uh how's life with you been? Uh, life's good. Life's good. Um, I'm, uh, you know, in, in terms of running for me, is still still happening. It's starting to, you know, starting to crank up, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I did my longest run on Sunday since the treadmill, I think. Uh, I did 18 miles. Nice. So I did eight, nice. Eight miles and then eight by a mile and, uh, you know, kind of hobbled. Oh, I saw that. Uh, nice. Jogged home. Um, so I was quite happy with that. I mean, I. Uh, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't firing in all cylinders. I, I, I did quite, I've got like this, this loop, which I really, really like because you do your first eight miles and it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's sub six minute mile pace. Um, average that is because you've got a big hill to come up and then you've got to go down. But the, the time you get to halfway down this kind of long 5k descent, you then start your eight by a mile and there's a, a kind of like net downhill from there. Uh, and that's just, it just makes you feel good when it comes to, you know, you're finishing your session yeah. rather than doing it the opposite way where you would just, uh, yeah. be, That'd be tough. It, it would be really hard. Um, cause the, the amount of net gain or net, net, net elevation in your first eight miles is quite high. Uh, whereas anyway, it makes sense in my head, but, uh, it's good fun. So I'm, nice. I'm, I'm a bit sore from that. I went out for a little five miler 
recovery run today. And uh, yeah, looking forward to finding finding something out there in April, Mayish, if, if things improve. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, still aiming for this hundred miler. So just I've got a good plan in place to to get me through there. I just have to do it, you know. Um, that's it. That's there's nothing really much to it as in just to do the sessions and get the mileage up a little bit, but not not excruciatingly excruciatingly high. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some weeks will be higher than others, but um, but my hip, my left hip, still still there. It's still so let, let, the left. So let me get this right. Is that the one that was sore on the treadmill, or is that the one that was usually sore? Usually sore, yeah. The one that didn't actually hurt when I was running on the treadmill that 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 day. You sure you went looking in the mirror on the treadmill? Uh, maybe, maybe that's what it was. <laughs> Hallucin- <laughs> hallucinating after six hours. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> only twelve hours to go. Oh, no, only only uh, eighteen hours to go. Kyle, just crack on. You'll be fine. So anyway, that was so, seems, uh, like, that seems like an age ago, doesn't it? Christ. I know. But nah, to be fair, there's not really much to report on in terms of my training. But um, but I tell you, in terms of training and nutrition and all good things about um, sports science in the world, I was so fortunate to catch up with Professor Ron Mohan, um, who's from, he's a professor um, from St. Andrews, but he was also... Um, an expert in the field of, of sports science in, at University of Aberdeen. And he created the syllabus, which I, I think is still, you know, still create, used, used now. Um, so yeah, it, he was someone who, you know, we spoke about his early days in the running, running with the likes of Don Ritchie and Fraser Klein, Mel Edwards, uh, Alistair Wood, all these great runners in the Northeast of Scotland. Um, and we also reviewed some of the, you know, some of the current recommendations on, on training and nutrition. So this is a really, really interesting art, um, you know, interview conversation I had with Ron for me as a coach uh, and also for the listeners. I'm sure you'll find this incredibly insightful. This guy is world renowned in terms of the world of or, or in sports science. So have a listen to what he's saying and, um, and you know, we'll send, we'll give, we'll put in some of the links to some of his articles in the notes section of the podcast. So here's Ron Mohan. We're proud to have Professor Ron Mohan on the on the show. So uh, thanks for coming along and welcome Ron. Not at all. It's always interesting to talk about running to other people who are interested in running too. Yeah, um, like Ron, I've as I said before, I, you know, I'm a massive fan of yours. Um, I I studied your literature at university, and you know, and a big. I know a lot of the runners uh, in the northeast of Scotland know a lot about you as well. And you ran with a lot of these local legends, such as Fraser Klein, Don Ritchie, and uh, Mel Edwards, uh, Alistair Wood. All these people. Um, I suppose we could just go back to. When you you know how you got into into running and uh, and you know how you got into the the world of sports science as well. I don't know how I got into running. To be honest, it was it, and, and it's something I've wondered about over the years. Some people just want to do it, and others can't stand the thought of it. And it's yeah. a very strange thing. And we've tried to do some experiments right away. And one of my regrets is I didn't take those experiments through to completion. Right, but there okay. do seem to be some differences between people who run and people who don't. 
Yeah. And we can maybe begin, I think, to understand a little bit of the newer chemistry. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, if, if you go to an animal model and you study rats, you can some rats like to run on a treadmill and some don't. <laughs> so it's a bit like people. If you want to study exercising rats, you study the ones that like to exercise. Now, we can encourage the rats to exercise by putting them on a treadmill. And unlike humans, where we verbally encourage them, we put an electric grid at the back of the treadmill. So if the rat slows down, it gets an electric shock. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fairly strong motivation to keep That's running. Brilliant. But there are some rats who, who will run until they're completely exhausted before they go back and get that shock. And there are other rats that would rather have the electric shock than run. And that's wow. interesting because that's like some of the people that every runner knows. Yeah. You have, yeah. Most of your friends are runners, but you also know a lot of people who don't run. Now, interestingly, if you take the rats that like to run and you selectively breed, yeah. you get yeah. a population that's very good at running. Ah, okay. Now, obviously, that's not an experiment you can do on humans, or at least not easily on humans, but you can do it on rats. And that kind of suggests there's something inherent in that desire to run. And we tried to study it in humans a while back. We got some very good runners and some retired runners and some non-runners and some older people who had never run. And we did see some differences in the brain neurochemistry between them. Oh, wow. So I'm kind of going off your, your, your initial question, but yeah, some people run because they feel a need to run. They want to run. And even though it's uncomfortable going out sometimes in the cold and wet and dark, yeah. you still do it. Yeah. That's and for people who don't like running, they can't understand that. You think there's people out there who are like, you know, the, the ones who don't like running, there's Sevcos and Kipchogis within, you know, they're within those 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 well, not rats but you know the humans or do you think it's it's the people who like no to, i i the ones who I, will... I i i don't think i don't think that's true but i do think there's a lot of people out there who could be very good but don't have the opportunity mm -hmm. now if you've got the talent of a seb co um yeah. you probably do run mm -hmm. at least if you're based in the uk and you probably have an opportunity to do that if you're based in some other cultures around the world, that opportunity may not exist. It's simply not possible. You have to work to earn a living and there's no prospect of becoming a professional. Yeah. So yes, there are thousands and thousands of people walking the streets who could probably run a four minute mile quite comfortably, but never run. Yeah. And in some cases it's because they don't want to, but in more cases, I think it's perhaps because they don't have the opportunity. Yeah. They don't have yeah. friends who run. They don't have a school teacher who encourages them. They yeah. don't join, yeah. join a club and meet a coach. So yes, the people who run and become successful are a fairly select group. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. Um, so I suppose you know, going back to my, my question about you, you getting into run, you were one of those, you know, people who, who like to run in there. Yeah, and, and the strange thing is, uh, you, you mentioned the, you know, the, the Sebcos and the Kipchogis, and you can yeah. see why they run. They get fantastic rewards from it. Yeah. But oh, I yeah. was absolutely bloody useless. <laughs> you know, and still, uh, still yeah. I ran. Yeah. And I, I haven't quite been able to reconcile that. Huh. What was I doing running 100 miles a week to run slowly? It doesn't I, I make that, any like, sense. 
I mean, from what I know, you, you did run and you did train with some real great, you know, legends of in the northeast of Scotland, you know, like Fraser Klein and uh Mel- Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean when I started running the the the, the the morning running group was an amazing yeah. event. You know, it started the house at Woods House and Steve uh-huh. Taylor would come up and Colin Youngson was oh, around yeah. and, and a whole bunch of other people. And the standard was phenomenal. Yeah. You mentioned Fraser. He didn't come along till later, but Donald was there from the early days, Donald Ritchie. Yeah. And it was really brutal. Yeah. And the first, we, we ran along Cana Queen Gardens and up Kingsgate. And the first time I went out with them, I was off the back halfway up Kingsgate. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And of course, there's no sympathy. No. You know, they just disappear off into the distance. Yeah. And some people would give up. But for whatever reason, I came back again. And <laughs> over the years, you gradually get to the stage where you can go a little bit further and a little bit further. And eventually, you get to the stage where you can do the, yeah. the Sunday morning 20 miles and two hours or whatever it is. Yeah, wow. And, and, and so you must have been, you know, your history, you were, you were pretty, you know, from a... From then until now, you, if you win a group like that, you, you don't see groups like that up in the up in the north of Scotland as much as you did back then. And it, you know, I don't know why why that's the case. If you've got any, you know, but there were there were lots of groups like that. There was a Sunday morning run in in Edinburgh. There was one in Newcastle. There was one in Birmingham. That you know, the Birmingham guys went out and did a did a hard run on a Sunday morning, and it yeah. was standard of every every club had a hard run. Yeah. And there were lots of people, you know. When I was running, I probably knew 100 people doing close to 100 miles a week. Mm-hmm. And wow. now there's not many in the UK doing that. Yeah. And in terms of, like, you know, this is kind of brings me nicely on to speak about, you know, training and things like that, you know, back, back when you, you were running with those athletes, what do you think were the reasons why they were running so fast and do you think we've we've lost some of that um that spark in in everyday running now you know in terms of elite sport or do you think we've learned from it um or do you think we've just shifted the the, the sort of number of runners and the, the sort of high end and there's, there's more focus on on everyday you know people who just want to run for being fit or getting yeah, the, the, running the, a 10k or, the running groups become much more polarized. The, the good yeah. guys are outstandingly good. Mm-hmm. And there's a large bunch of people who run just for fun and who are not particularly competitive. Yes, they're, they're, they're competitive, but not in the way that they, they feel the need to, to train hard. But it used to be that everybody who ran, ran fairly seriously. You didn't see joggers. Mm-hmm. You yeah. only saw runners. There weren't really any joggers. Occasionally you'd see somebody running and if you didn't know who it was, you would wonder what was going on. And then you real, you'd realize it was it was a boxer or a football player or something <laughs> like doing whatever it was they do. Because the boxers used to do a bit of road work in those days. And, yeah. and the yeah. other guy would do a little bit. But they clearly weren't runners. But everybody you saw was a runner. Yeah. And there were lots of them. Okay. And people trained hard. Yeah. And, and, uh, very hard. Yeah. And that's something that you know I'm interested in, in chatting about with, with you is like when you train when when you talk about training hard, um, is that you know is that like the, the sort of training? What's the mix of training? Is that you know is it easy running? Is it medium fast paced? Uh, to max kind of work or um, yeah, the, there wasn't a lot of 
easy earning in those days, I don't think. Yeah. A lot of it was done fairly hard. And one of the things I realized over, over the years, I, I tried different training methods of myself. And that's yeah. not a good thing to talk to other people about. And it's a flaw that many coaches have. Many coaches say, well, this is what I used to do. Therefore, this is what you should do. Yeah. Whereas the scientists, of course, should say, this is probably based on the experience of thousands and tens of thousands of people, what's best. Yeah. Um, and my own experience was it didn't make a lot of difference whether I did 100 miles a week of interval training or 100 miles a week of steady running okay. in terms of performance. Yeah. But in terms yeah. of the effort needed, there was a huge difference. Mm -hmm. You know, to run close to 100 miles a week doing interval training five or six days a week is an awful lot of intervals. Yeah. I, see. And I don't think there weren't many people who did it then. And I don't think there's anybody doing it now, doing sessions like, you know, 80 by 200 meters. Jeez. Um, so. one, of the, one of the interval sessions I used to do was 15 sets of 10 by 100 meters. Okay. So that's 150 repetitions of 100 meters oh. with a short jog recovery. Um, or you might not do... do things like that as well. Like, did he not do ridiculous... In, who sorry don richie did he not do donald, donald did some of those he tended yeah. to do the longer intervals so right. donald would do things like you know uh, 4400s or whatever and alistair wood did a lot of interval training too at one stage yeah. alistair did quite a lot of intervals mm -hmm. and we'd do things you know like like 2200s 2400s 2200s um and those are fair those those are long sessions mm -hmm. And they're quite hard sessions. And the aim wasn't to run as fast as you could. The aim was to run at the same pace all the way through rather than starting off fast and slowing down. Yeah. Um, but it really depends what you're trying to achieve. And I, again, if you look at the science, the science says if what you want to do is to improve your maximum oxygen uptake, yeah. you probably want to do intervals lasting about three minutes. Okay. And you want to get them at an intensity that's about the intensity you need to get up to your maximum oxygen uptake. Now that's not running flat out. No. That's running at maybe 80% of, of, of fast race pace yeah. rather than flat out. And you do a few of those, but you have to be careful. I can remember one time after a cross country race at Edinburgh, we were in a bar as was quite often the case and things got around to training as they tended to and people were asking. And I said, well, you know, there's some good studies done out of Scandinavia and they said, you know, you run three minutes on, three minutes off and, mm -hmm. and, and repeat that. And everybody said, oh yeah, that's interesting. And about a year later, um, a very good marathon runner, I won't name it. <laughs> uh, so that, that training you recommended, you said, fantastic. I said, Brilliant. what training? He says, that, that uh, three minutes on, three minutes off. Mm -hmm. He said, I've been doing that 12, 12 repetitions every day for the last year, <laughs> and I've taken two minutes off my marathon time. Now, his marathon time came down from about 2.17 to 2.15. So you might say, wow. okay. that's a reasonable return. Yeah. But on the other hand, the intention was never to do that every day. <laughs> something that you put into the training mix. Yeah. And, you know, I think it doesn't matter what you do, so long as you do it hard okay. and you do it consistently, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you'll get results at the end of the day. Yeah. But you probably do need some fast running in there or you need some very prolonged running. And one of the reasons for that is we've got we've got a whole bunch of muscle fibers in our bodies mm -hmm. and they come in different shapes and forms and everything else. 
And if you're running slowly, you don't use all the muscle fibers at half speed. You only use half the muscle fibers because the muscle fiber either works or it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So if you only ever run at half speed and you only ever run for a short distance, half your muscle fibers are never getting used. And if they're not getting used, they're not getting trained. Yeah. So you have to do something to train all of those muscle fibers. And there's two things you can do. One is to run pretty fast. Because yeah. if you yeah. want to run fast, you have to use pretty much all the muscle you've got. Mm -hmm. And the other is to run for a very long time. Because when the muscles, fibers you start using at the beginning of the run get tired, the other ones have to take over. Yeah. So those yeah. ones that got you through the first 10 miles say, I've had enough, I'm finished, I'm done. And other ones have to switch in. So they get trained. Yeah. But if you yeah. never run further than 10 miles, those other fibers are never getting trained unless you do high intensity efforts. Yeah. Okay. So, so you, need, you need somewhere in that mix to do a bit of everything. Yeah. And this is extension extended from, you know, 5Ks to ultra marathons? What, whatever, whatever event you're doing, yeah. if you want to run a 5K, you've got to use every single muscle fiber you've got. And it's interesting, you know, if you speak to most runners about maximum auction uptake, they think the marathon runners are the guys or the ultra guys are the guys with the highest maximum auction uptake, but they're not. Yeah. It's a, it's a 1500 meter runner and the 5000 meter runner who've got the highest maximum auction uptake because they have to run fast. Yeah. yeah. And, and I suppose that's, you know, that's, that's important as well because, you know, as a, you know, I'm a marathon to ultra runner and, and, and I've, I, I believe, you know, based on, on what your kind of research is and what's out there is you have to run at different speeds. You have to run fast so that it does translate and extend into ultra running. Like what's the, uh, you know, that, that that's, that's kind of what you're saying, isn't it? Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. At some point you have to, you have to work all of those muscle fibers and you don't want to get into the habit of running at the same speed the whole time. And again, another example is I see people training on a treadmill. That's great. But the trouble with training on a treadmill is you tend to set the speed and weave the speed running. Yeah. And yeah. you either have it on the flat or a very slight incline. And that means you're always running with the same cadence. Your stride length's the same. The surface is perfect. It's absolutely flat. And therefore, you're working hard on a small part of your muscle. If you run outside, the surface is uneven, uh, you come across bumps and holes in the road and curbs and you step up and you step down and you're always switching around those muscle fibers. Yeah. You're also yeah. varying the pace, not conscious way, but if you're outside, the pace isn't absolutely monotonous as it is on the treadmill. Yeah. So there's a lot to be said for not training on the treadmill, but training outside. Okay. Yeah. I better, I better put my head on the bin there. <laughs> Storm Christoph came along. I thought I'm not going out in that, but yeah. Why not? Why not? We used, we used to go, we used to go out in the most atrocious weather, and I, I, we used I, to say it's great. You know, those soft guys in California, <laughs> the sun's shining, they're enjoying it. It makes them soft. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, the I'm most not a hard man like you. That's what it is. Eh? <laughs> well, yeah, you just get used to it. You yeah. know. Uh, and compared to the compared to the way you feel after a hard twenty, you know, being a little bit cold or a little bit wet, not really. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And that well, uh, that, that was one thing I was going to ask you about. In terms of like, you know, some people are going to be asking like, uh, you know, how how do I run that like, you know, maximum oxygen uptake and you know train for that? And you know, there's various ways that you can measure effort level and things. What 
what's your sort of preferred measured measured output? You know, not not everyone can get their VO two max and things like that. Are you no it's, heart rate or RPE? Or? Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of heart rate monitors. And I think when when they first came in, lots of people spent money on them, used them for a week, and then threw them away. Yeah. Um, because after you know. You can almost say the same about stopwatches. You know, what do you do if your training schedule says you have to run um, five miles in, in 30 minutes? Yeah. And yeah. you're just not having a good day. Yeah. Do you flog yourself to run five miles in 30 minutes? Or if it's windy or if it's wet, yeah. do you still try to yeah. do that? But the same token, if you're supposed to be running in a heart rate band, which a lot of training is set by these days, and it says your heart rate should be 170 to 180, and you're feeling terrible and your heart rate's only 160, what do you do? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think you have to run as you feel. And, and with time, you learn where you should be. You know, and there's a huge amount of learning in running. It should be very simple, but there's an awful lot of learning. If you watch kids, for example, when they start off in a race, it doesn't much matter whether the race is 50 meters or a mile. They yeah. set off as yeah. fast as they can. <laughs> yeah. And and the, the ones that are at the front halfway through the race are very, very seldom the ones at the front at the end of the race because they've gone too fast. Yeah. Now, the sensible person learns from experience. I went too fast. I'll go a bit slower next time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Or, they do a sprint finish and you say to yourself, well, I could have gone faster because I had a sprint finish and I didn't use everything I had all the way through the race. Yeah. So you do those things and you, you learn what works and, and you learn what doesn't work. And you, you think about it. Uh, you keep a training diary and you look at your training diary and you say, well, what did I do at this point last year and what, what results did I get from that? So there's a huge amount to be said for thinking about what you're doing. And learning from experience. Yeah, yeah, that's that's well said. So one of the other things I was going to mention was, you know, we've talked about sort of training and, and what sort of training and, and effort we should be looking at, um, but also just like you know different sort of fuel strategies, um, you know, for training adaptation, event preparation. Um, what sort of things should, should you be thinking about um, in terms of, yeah, if I'm going out for, say, say I'm a marathon runner and I'm looking to break uh, three hours, what should, what should I be eating? You know, is it, because I know you've, you've done a lot of research and various um, sort of uh, dietary strategies and things like that. So um, carbohydrates and things, yeah, high well, carbs. Food's and a good, carbs and yeah. Food's a good starting point. Yeah. Okay. You need to eat some food. Um, what kind of food doesn't hugely matter. Um, but way people start to run into problems as they go to extremes. Yeah. And like, we see that. Diets and things that. Yeah. We see it very often, particularly with people who start a running program. And often the motivation for people in, in their 20s and 30s and 40s to start running is to lose a bit of weight. Mm. So they start running and they don't do very much, but they do a bit, but they also know if they want to lose weight, they're going to have to restrict the amount of food they eat. So they cut back on the food intake and they may be only doing a couple of five mile runs a week, but if they simultaneously cut back on food, they're going to be knackered. That's a technical term we use in science to describe the feeling of, <laughs> of uh, not feeling very uh, well when you go out running. Yeah. 
And the example I used to use was, you know, if I if if I if I say to Liz McCaulgan, um, and it shows you how far back I'm going because Liz was at a peak in the late 80s. Yeah. But if I said to Liz, look, Liz, you're doing 100 miles a week. I want you to do 110 miles a week. She'd say, that's fine. Okay, I can do that. Yeah. But I also want you to cut back on your food intake by 500 calories a day. She wouldn't last a week. That's right, yeah. Just, you know, but it's only another 10 miles and it's only 500 calories a day off of food intake. So I think for the people at the beginning of a training program, the message is don't reduce your food intake, eat a little bit more mm-hmm. because your muscles need that energy in order to run and to recover from the run. And most of what they need is carbohydrate. Your body has got a lot of fat. Yeah. Now you'll see a lot of stuff in the news about high fat diets and low carbohydrate diets. And that's fine if you want to run six hours for a marathon, but six hours for a marathon is not running. It's a fast walk. Yeah. If you want to run fast, your body needs carbohydrate as a fuel. Yeah. And there are compelling physiological reasons for that. Mm-hmm. People think the limiting factor is, is, is fuel, but the limiting factor probably is oxygen. Your body has to supply that oxygen to the working muscles. Now, if you're running at a fixed speed and you burn fat, as a fuel mostly, you need more oxygen than running at the same speed burning carbohydrate. Yeah. Carbohydrate in that sense is a more efficient fuel. You get the same energy for less oxygen. So cutting out the carbohydrate might just be okay if you want to run a very, very slow marathon. Mm-hmm. And might just be okay if you want to run real ultra distance stuff, but it doesn't work for most people in most events. So the main thing is to get enough energy yeah. to fuel yeah. the muscles and to get enough carbohydrate to fuel the muscles. Don't worry about protein. People say, oh, I'm training hard. I need protein to repair the muscle. Mm-hmm. If you eat normal foods, you'll get more than enough protein if you get enough energy. Yeah. And yeah. There's, there's all... People don't think of things like potatoes and bread and rice and such like as good sources of, car- of protein, but they're great sources of protein. Yeah. So as long yeah. as your diet's meeting your energy needs, you're not likely to be protein deficient. The people who are protein deficient are the people who starve themselves. Yeah. And so don't worry about protein, focus on energy, focus on carbohydrate. And again, you know, don't, don't be fanatical about it. There's a lot of stuff in there that's very forgiving. You can eat a few chocolate bars. You can eat a few packets of crisps. You can eat a few um, candy bars. You can drink a few beers if you're working hard. Yeah. If you're completely yeah. sedentary and you do that, you'll get fat. Yeah. But if you're running, you'll burn it off. So there you go, listeners. Uh, keep on running. <laughs> yeah, and a lot, of, a, lot of people, a lot of people say that's simply not true, but the evidence bears it out that it is true. When I was back in Aberdeen in the, in the I guess it was in the mid-80s, mm-hmm. we lined up a bunch of people who'd been running for at least a year or two and were doing different amounts of training, and they kept a training log, all these people. And there was anything from about uh, 10 or 15 miles a week right up to uh, Fraser Klein was part of that study, and he was running about 100 miles a week. And we had a few guys doing no exercise in that study as well. And we measured what they were eating. We got them to weigh everything they ate and drank for seven days, and we analyzed it. And we got them to keep a training diet uh, diary, and we weighed them before and after. They all stayed the same weight because they were 
doing things consistently. And we measured how much fat they had in their bodies. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is the people who had the highest weekly mileage had the lowest body fat. Yeah. Now, that's not a surprise, is it? No, 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 no. You look at the guys at the front of a race, and they're all pretty lean. You don't see Billy Bunter winning a marathon. <laughs> and the guys at the other end were carrying a little bit more body fat. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the more miles per week, the lower the body fat. Yeah. But it was also the case that the more miles per week people were running, the more food they ate, the higher their energy intake. And that's not a surprise either, is it? If you go out with, with a bunch of runners, you know they eat a lot. We got banned from every all-you-can-eat restaurant in the country. <laughs> because we'd go into an all-you-can-eat buffet and the, the, the owners would be rubbing their hands. These thin guys are not going to eat much. And we would clean the place out. Oh, yeah. So that's not particularly surprising either, is it? Yeah. No, but no, when, you put no. those, when you put those two things together, yeah. the people who ate the most were the thinnest people. And yeah. the people who ate the least were the fattest people. Yeah. Yeah. So really provided nice. you work at it consistently and you exercise consistently in a reasonable amount, you can enjoy those foods mm-hmm. that you otherwise would have to cut out of your diet. Yeah, yeah. That's another re- reason why I run is, is so I can eat as much as I can. And certainly for, so- for ultra running as well. Uh, you just, you're right. Like you hit the nail on the head. Like, I... For, for training for ultras and the, the standard that I want to get to, I have to eat, you know, and it doesn't yeah. really matter what I eat. Uh, and, and there's, there's, you know, there's times where I'll, I will try like, you know, uh, I'll go out in the morning fasted and, and run to try and spare some of my fat. So that's one thing I wanted to just briefly mention was the timings of, of some of the runs. So if I'm training for a marathon or an ultra, what's your sort of, you know, your, your kind of opinion on, on running, fasted well it's 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 a mix and match i I think for many people they don't have the luxury of being able to choose exactly when they train because they have they have to earn a living there's a few people who managed to do that Mm -hmm. i was the wood i was always impressed with i was the i was the took the job he had as a lecturer in college because he would run fasting in the morning at about seven o'clock he'd go and give a couple of lectures he'd run again at about 11 o'clock yeah so by lunchtime, hours that had done is 15 or 20 or 25 miles for the day. Oh. And he never ran later in the day. Yeah, okay. It was all done by lunchtime. At that time, I was working all day and oh. I had other things on. And I would be going out at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, to get even I would go out at 11 o'clock at night and I would say, okay, the first hours got me an hour's running today. And if I run for 90 minutes, I've got, I've got a 30-minute session on tomorrow as well. Yeah. Wow. Um, wow. And that's that's not ideal. No. It's better than not running, but running at, at close to midnight one day and then at a different time the next day is not ideal either. Yeah. But but the same token, I think you need to be a little bit flexible. Um, if you're doing high quality training, you should have a have a be reasonably well rested and reasonably well fed so you can do the quality training if you're going out for a 20 mile sunday morning run you can afford not to have breakfast beforehand Mm -hmm. and you can afford to make your body work that bit harder to increase this capacity to burn fat and to wear out some of those muscle fibers so if you put a bit of a mix in there it, it works reasonably well yeah okay and then when it when it comes to you know in the, the same sort of 
subject of, of nutrition whilst running them when it comes to races like marathon races and things uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, things out there you know to suggest that we should be taking in um you know if it's between 40 40 to 80 grams of carbohydrates per hour um how you know, is that still the kind of current thinking um, in terms of marathon you know depending on <sighs> It, it depends. And one of the problems is that a lot of the advice that's given is given for the guys at the very sharp end of the race. Yeah. But yeah. again, going going back, I was going to say going back 20 or 30 years, but going back 40 or 50 years, uh-huh. uh, guys like guys like Alistair Wood would do, you know, he'd he'd run two he ran two thirteen forty odds for a marathon. And yeah. there was often no carbohydrate during the event. Uh, at that time, there were no drink stations before 10 miles. And you had a drink station at 10, 15, 20, and 25, if you were lucky, wow. if you were lucky. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. nobody turned up at the drink station. So these guys were running phenomenal times with no carbohydrate intake and often with very little liquid intake of any sort. Now, would they have been much faster if they'd had something else? Possibly, but yeah. I don't think yeah. it would have been much faster. Now, don't get me wrong, I was so used to experiment with different carbohydrate drinks, and he did some things that were very sensible that a lot of people today don't do. So if he was preparing for a big marathon, he would have a table set up outside his house. Yeah, okay. With his yeah. wife standing there. And instead of going up into the forest at Hazelhead for a 20, yeah. he would yeah. do laps of about three miles and come past the house and take a drink as he ah, went past the ah, house. Yeah. So he practiced, he practiced the strategy of drinking. No bottles in those days. You've got a cup. You've got a paper cup if you were lucky to drink out of. So you had to pick this up from the table, drink out of the cup, uh, and be on your way. So yeah. practicing that was important, but also practicing the feeling of having liquid in your gut. You know what it's like yeah. that sometimes yeah. if you take too much, you've got this uncomfortable swashing feeling in your gut. The yeah. only way yeah. to, to, to know is to practice. Now, there's an awful lot of people who never practice drinking and training, but then expect to know what's going to work in a race. By the same token, there's an awful lot of people who drink and training unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. If it's a cold Aberdeen day and you're only going out for five miles, you don't need to drink. If you're going for (laughs) 10 miles, you don't need to drink. If you're going for 20 miles, you don't need to drink if it's cold. You do see some uh, interesting, you know, when you're going out and even like the your yoga class and you've got a bottle of they can't be separated from this bottle. Yeah. It's ludicrous. You know, yeah. it's not necessary. Yeah. And sometimes I see these people, I want to shake them and say, you know, you don't need to do that. <laughs> but they, they've been they've been taught, they've been told that this is what they should be doing. Yeah. yeah. And it's not. So, you know, it's, it's, it's think, again, it comes back to thinking about what you're doing. If it's a hot day and I'm going to do a 20-mile training run, I might need to think about either doing my run in the early morning or late evening when it's not so hot or making sure I can get a drink yeah. because yeah. You know, 20 miles on a hot day with nothing to drink is hard work. Yeah. But then, you know, Sunday morning training run was often enough 15, 18, 20 miles and never a chance of a drink. Yeah. It's, it's really it's a, an interesting one as well. And training, um, you know, when, when it comes to marathon training, like Alistair Wood and these, these guys, when they were running, 
that they didn't perhaps need it because they trained themselves, their bodies to not, you know, lose sweat, lose lose water as, as much. And, uh, uh, no, it doesn't work that way. You can't train your body to not sweat. And one of the things that happens if you if you do become uh, trained and you do become heat acclimatized, you actually sweat a little bit more. Right. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the problem comes when you sweat too much and you see people sometimes and the sweat's pouring off them. Mm -hmm. uh, and some people have this thermoregulatory dysfunction where they sweat more than is necessary. Mm -hmm. And we don't understand why some people do that because the sweat's only effective if it evaporates from your skin and that takes heat away. Mm -hmm. If it's dripping off your skin, it's taking water and salt out of your body, but it's not removing heat. Yeah. So yeah. there's a there's a happy medium in there somewhere. Yeah. But you know, again, going back to those days, you, you mentioned Donald Ritchie, and Donald obviously set all the world records in the ultras and was yeah. absolutely phenomenal. And we spent a lot of time with Donald working on what he should drink. And we got some early glucose polymer drinks, and we also used a product called Dioralite, which is normally well, it's produced commercially for children with diarrhea. So it contains yeah. a little bit yeah. of sugar and a little bit of salt. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, it's got less sugar than most sports yeah. drinks and more salt than most sports drinks. But it's probably a better drink for somebody who wants to run fast. Yeah. But in, yeah. the, in the ultras, Donald's needs were a little bit different. He wasn't running so fast. He was sweating hugely, but he was sweating quite a lot. But he did need a lot of carbohydrate. And one of the things that Donald would do is... He, he would alternate his drinks. So he would take a drink that was mm. like Dioralite, fairly low in sugar, fairly high in salt. Yeah. But then his next yeah. drink would be a glucose polymer solution, which was fairly concentrated. Okay. Uh, to some extent, they all mix in the gut. So he's, he's, he's getting a mixture of the two. But he liked to change a taste that he got. Yeah, because okay. over the course of 10 hours or 24 hours, yeah. you develop taste fatigue. And if you're always drinking the same thing, then you start to get a little bit tired of it. So swapping around flavors and swapping around the composition of drinks can help in those ultras. Yeah, okay. That's really interesting. So I suppose it's, you know, it's about train, you know, understanding what you're taking in during... <laughs> Not just waiting yeah. until your your competition event to go. Oh, hold on, this is. Oh no, this. no. And yeah. in, in those events, you have to, you have to do some long runs on a on a whenever you do them. And yeah. Sunday morning is usually the most convenient. But yeah. you have to use those long training runs as an opportunity to say, what happens if I drink a concentrated carbohydrate drink? Is it going to give me the trots, and I'm going to have to dive into the bushes because that's mm. not going to do me any good on race day? Yeah. If it is it going to make me throw up? Well, you know, throwing up in, in a training session is is, is no big deal. <laughs> yeah. It's just an occupational hazard. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it happens. Yeah. Um, okay. But throwing up in a race is a different game altogether. So you want to be sure that whatever you're doing doesn't happen on race day. Yeah. And if you're going to make mistakes, you make those mistakes in training. Yeah. Again, another example, back, back I guess, in the, the late 70s, um, Another race, this time in Belfast, um, into the bar afterwards with a bunch of the guys and just talking about training and talking about diet. And somebody said, oh, you know, what's what, what's 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 the deal on, on the best nutrition strategy? And I said, well, you know, there's some some good experiments showing in rats that if you if you give them corn oil, uh -huh. you put a, a nasal gastric tube down into the stomach, give them an injection of um, uh, some corn oil and yeah. you inject them with heparin, 
which mobilizes fats. These animals run very well because they can really use a lot of fat. Now, clearly you wouldn't do that to a human because the heparin might make you bleed to death, fell over and cut yourself. But what you could do is to take a pint of cream and a cup of coffee because the caffeine will mobilize the fat and the cream gives you lots of fat. And I wasn't being at all serious. <laughs> um, but one of the guys unfortunately thought I was. Oh, no. And he, he tried that. Did he try it on a training run? No. He tried it in the Commonwealth Games Marathon. Uh, <laughs> um, so that was a real salutary experience for me. You yeah. know, if you're, if you're not being serious, make sure that people know you're not being serious. <laughs> oh, me. Well, uh, I mean, that was a, another quick sort of segue into, like, supplements and, and kind of stimulants as well as... Uh, you know, do you find caffeine's a, you know, a, a, a kind of a good thing to be, obviously in training, you know, maybe not cream and caffeine, but in terms of like a marathon and, and maybe even ultras is to, to have caffeine, like to, to take caffeine when, when it comes to, to races or, you know. Is I, it- I think the evidence is pretty mixed. The, the studies suggest that for some people, at least there's a small benefit from taking caffeine. So that would be the scientific answer. Yeah. Um for on, on on balance it's probably worth doing um but not everybody will experience a benefit and you have to think hard about what you're doing there was a there was a, a fad at one point for using huge amounts of caffeine and mm. using it in in situations that were totally inappropriate and speaking to a friend who who was with the australian uh, Olympic team many times. Yeah. The swimmers were big fans yeah. of caffeine. And these guys were taking huge doses of caffeine before their evening heats. And then they couldn't sleep at night because they're all hyper on these huge doses of caffeine for yeah. an event that lasts about two minutes. Right. Uh, so that's an inappropriate use. Right. Um, is it worth adding to drinks in a marathon? Is it worth taking caffeine pills? <sighs> My feeling is probably not. Mm. Um, I think there's so many other things you can do, and I know it's an easy thing to do, you know. Uh, it's not like saying do an extra interval training session a week, which is not an easy thing to do. It's yeah. just take pills and, and you're away. Um, I'm not convinced it's worth the investment. Worth taking. Yeah, okay. And then kind of going into supplements and things, um, is there any, you know, as a, as a runner who's perhaps training 100 miles a week, is there any kind of supplement you think that runners should be taking or is, do you think we should be getting all that from our diet? What's that? Pretty much everything should come from the diet. If, if, if you're a vegetarian or if you have a very restricted eating habit, yeah. um, if you cut out lots of food groups, um, then you increase the risk that you might have deficiencies if you don't take supplements. Mm-hmm. So if you're a, you know, if you don't have any dairy produce, for example, you might run a bit low on calcium because dairy products are the best source of calcium. Uh, the, the, the supplements are, are a strange thing. And, and, you know, the simple rule is that the people who take them generally don't need them because they make good food choices. Yeah. And the people yeah. who need them probably don't take them because they don't care. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the main thing is to think about what you're eating. You know, if you decide to cut out red meat, that's fine. Yeah. But be aware, 
you've cut out one of the major sources of iron from your diet and think about the consequences. By all means, be a vegetarian or be a vegan, but think about what you're doing and think about the fact that if you decide on a vegan diet, you're going to need to take a, a vitamin B12 supplement. Yes. So don't yeah. just wake up one morning and say, I'm never going to eat meat again or fish or whatever. Uh, there are consequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's really, that's a really good point. Um, I think a lot of listeners will, will, will be like, oh yeah, okay, well, I better, if I did take that diet, what, am I, what have I eliminated from my diet, um, you know, from what I eat every day? And hopefully most listeners have, have understood that too. So um, yeah. yeah, you know, it's 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 common sense, really. We evolved over over a very long historical period to to eat a mixed diet, and we ate what we could find. And it probably wasn't very high in meat for most of us, but we weren't trying to run marathons. Yeah. So we're we're pushing our bodies in many ways much harder than people used to push them. Yeah. Yes, we have better diets, but if we start tinkering with a diet we need to think about the consequences yeah brilliant um so yeah just before i mean i could chat to you forever and you know i know no, you couldn't because i'm not going to stay here forever <laughs> uh, so like you know just before we we, we go um is, is there anything like just the, first, the last sentence in the mansion was in terms of technology you know obviously shoe technology and things have evolved through the last kind of certainly last few years quite quite quickly um and i know this is probably not your kind of area but what's your kind of thoughts on the development of of technology and the, the enhances that that's been having on and performance uh you know are you are you for it or are you against it or what's the... but it's like saying oh, am i for or against the electric light it's you know it's it's there it's 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 part of the world in which we live and modern shoes are better than the shoes we used to run in but remember you know going back to the old guys and and, and when i started up some of them were wearing army stuff with jimmies yeah, and they were wearing nice. tiger cubs, which had a sole that was was yeah. about a quarter of an inch thick and was fairly hard. And they were revolutionary. They were much better than the army suppers, Jimmy's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but people still ran 100 miles a week or 140 miles a week. And they still ran 215 for a marathon in those conditions. So, yes, the shoe's going to make a bit of a difference, but you can get you can get an awful long way without spending 100 pounds on a pair of shoes. Yeah. Um, is it worth it? Yes, it is. If the difference is between finishing third in the London Marathon and finishing first in the London Marathon, that's worth about half a million. Yeah. So yeah. it's worth it's worth the investment in the shoes, and you'd be getting them free anyway. So why not wear them? Yeah. <laughs> if, if the aim is to break four hours for the marathon, is it worth it? I'm not convinced it is. Okay. It's, it's, it's not going to make that much difference. Mm -hmm. um, yes, good shoes can help reduce the injury risk, but you can get good shoes for a fraction of the price to the most expensive ones. Yeah. Yeah. A really good answer. Yeah. Brilliant. So uh, just to round up, um, I've got a few fartlet questions for you, Ron. Uh, I hope that they're not too challenging. So they're kind of more about you and what you're, 
you, you know, not really dynasty <sighs> as such. Uh, what's I'll your? I get most of the answers wrong. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't know when the last time you raced uh, was, but what 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 was your pre-race meal? Um, it was it was highly variable. You know, we it was a very different world in those days. You know, in the winter you jumped in a minibus and you went down to somewhere Edinburgh, or Glasgow, or Newcastle, yeah. or, or York. And often enough, whoever was driving wasn't very good, and we got lost, and you turned up late. <laughs> so, you know, it 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 was it was pretty shambolic. Um, it was hard to be consistent. Um, much harder than it, it it would be for me to do the same thing today. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and the lesson from that probably is it doesn't matter hugely. Yes, when you can when you can make your plans and get everything in place, great. But if things go wrong, don't worry, you know, you can do perfectly well. I can remember, I can remember turning up for races that had already started and having to change in the <laughs> minibus on the way to the race because we knew we were going to miss the start. Yeah. And you can still run okay, you know? Yeah, that's brilliant. No warm up, no proper preparation, no nothing. Yeah, brilliant. So what's your, you know, in terms of the races that you've done, what's your favourite race been? Oh, yeah, I can remember some of the bad ones. I, I don't remember <laughs> many good ones. Um, I, I, I tried to be a 1,500 metre runner, okay. and I decided that there was no point in running longer distances unless I could run reasonably fast at the shorter distances. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I never got fast enough at the shorter distances to move up. But I was I was running 100 miles a week to try and do 1,500 metres, which you know, maybe wasn't entirely necessary, but I didn't know that at the time. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, rest day or recovery run? Um, the... Uh, Rest days were never planned. Rest days were days when things got in the way and there wasn't an opportunity to run. Name was to run every day. Yeah. Do you find um, some, you know, runners now, you know, rest days, people take a rest day for the sake of a rest day or do you think you should have yeah. a recovery uh, run? I, some, some of my... Some of my reasonably good friends have done an awful lot of damage by talking about overtraining. Uh-huh. And... Overtraining affects a very small number of people in, in fairly extreme situations. Um, most people undertrain rather than overtrain. Yeah. Um, but you have to be sensitive to the fact there is always a possibility. And the way I used to, to put it, I'm, I'm very happy to stand up in front of 100 people and say, train harder. Yeah. Because yeah. for 95 or 96 or 97 of those people, training harder will produce better results. Yeah. There's maybe one or two for whom training harder will have some negative consequences. But for most people, the harder you train, the better you'll be. Yeah, okay. And uh, final question I've got in terms of Fartlek is, what's you, if, do you have a running hero or a, a hero that you, you, you looked up to in the past or in, and there, were, there, there were many, and I, I you know, we, we had we had fantastic runners in Aberdeen. I mean, Alistair Wood was hugely under underrated. So was Steve yeah. Taylor. Um, Donald belatedly got Donald Ritchie belatedly got some of the recognition. Guys like Graham Lang, Fraser Quine came along. Um, 
I guess I guess the heroes when I grew up were the the fifteen hundred meter runners, the, the yeah. Peter Snells, the Jim Ryan's, the, the Michel Jazzies, the, the Bannisters. The, um, and I've been very fortunate in I got to know quite a lot of those people. Yeah. I certainly got to meet quite a lot of those people, and some of them I got to know very well, became good friends. Uh, strangely enough, the first time I met Jim Ryan, you wouldn't guess where. No. <laughs> Aberdeen. No way. Aberdeen. Um, Aberdeen. There was. There used to be a, a mile, a mile race down Union Street. Oh yeah, yeah. That's still kind of happened last couple of years. Does it? Yeah. It, it must have finished just outside the the the, the townhouse as it was at that That's time, right. just yeah. just short of the castle gate. Uh-huh. And I was down there and got speaking to this guy, and uh, we got talking, and he had been a runner. Wow. Oh. And that was Jim Ryan. I didn't didn't know. Uh, it's funny because uh, the Aberdeen Sports Awards, Kipchoge uh, ended up coming to Aberdeen and thought, "What these amazing runners? Like, you know, what what are you doing in Aberdeen?" Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Um, so, so yes, one thing before you go, Ron, is if there was one bit of advice that you would give our listeners in terms of you know performance and um, improvement, what what would it be? That's a big uh, loaded question. Sorry, that's a lo- that's that's a loaded a loaded question. Um, make make the most of it. Uh, make the most of it because there'll come a day when you're too old to do it. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. and you laugh about that, but there'll come a day when you're too old to do it. Yeah, and you'll look back and think, if I maybe just trained a wee bit differently. Not necessarily harder, but a wee bit differently. If I'd maybe paid a wee bit more attention to my diet, if I'd maybe thought about some of the issues about about whether I should warm up or warm down or all those other things, maybe I'd have run just a little bit faster. And my yeah. PB might have been just just a little bit better. Yeah, okay. And that's something you carry for the rest of your life. And if you've got just a minute, perhaps the best example of that, I got a... I got a phone call one day from a guy, um, I won't mention his name, um, who said, um, can I ask you for some advice? And I said, sure. And he said, I'm an 800 meter runner. My coach has just dumped me, um, but I think I could be better. And I said, well, what's your best time? And he said, 148. Wow. I said, oh, pretty, pretty good, yeah. Um, I said, why is your coach just dumped me? And his coach was a good personal friend of mine. Um, okay. Okay. I said, why has he dumped you? He said, well, I've just had a VO2 max test and my VO2 max is only 70 mils per kilogram per minute. And he says, I'll never run faster than 148 with a VO2 max of only 70. Oh, okay. So I said, well, I can tell you two things. Um, I can tell you if, if your time's 148 and I trust the time, your VO2 max isn't 70. You can't run 148 with a VO2 max of 70. It must be much higher than that. Yeah. Okay. So think about that. And the second thing is your coach is a, I was going to say asshole, but I guess I can't say that <laughs> on a podcast. Um, get, yourself a, get yourself a new coach or, <laughs> or yeah. coach yourself. Yeah. So he said, well, what should I do? I said, well, Go back to training and give me a shout when you run 146. Because if you can run 148, there's no reason why you can't run 146. Yeah. yeah. And about two years later, I got a phone call from this guy. 
-hmm. And I had completely forgotten the conversation and didn't recognize the name when he first said who he was. I said, yeah. He said, uh, I thought I'd phone you and tell you I've just run 145. Oh, wow. wow that's amazing. Yeah. And he was in the British team. Ah, jeez. So a big difference. Like if he if he had quit, if he had quit when his coach told him to quit because he yeah. was never going to run faster, he'd have retired with a PB of 148, which is good, mm-hmm. but not great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he wouldn't have been a GB international, but he retired, he never ran faster after that, but he retired with a PB of 145 something and a British vest. Yeah. So that's why I say make the most of the moment. You know, yeah. don't look back with regrets because yeah. he would have had enormous regrets if he'd yeah. stopped. Yeah. And it just goes back so, to what we what we started. You know, talking. You know, at the start. You know, we we you know, there's people who want to run and there's people who who don't. Yeah. The people who want to run are the people who get so much benefit from it and joy. And- yeah, and and don't let anybody. Don't let anybody stop you. Don't let anybody get in the way. There's a fantastic cartoon of Alistair Wood that was in the, I think it was in the Green Final, it might have been, it might have been oh, the nice. Evening Express. And yeah. there's a cartoon picture of him running down Union Street. <laughs> and the, 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 the caption is, I'd say, damn you to anybody who gets in my way. Because <laughs> somebody was complaining about him running up and down the road. Oh, yeah. um, you know, don't let them stop you. If yeah. you want to do it, go and do it. And, you know, Try and achieve your ambitions, Amazing. but don't put it off. You know, don't think, it's a bit grey today. I'll go out tomorrow." Yeah, go out today and go out tomorrow. Yeah, amazing. Well, Professor Ron Mon, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Uh, like I said, you know, I could speak to you all day. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be amazing to have you maybe back on the show, maybe later on at some point. Just. I'm sure there's so many things that we could chat about. You've got such an extensive career, you know, in, in the world of sports science. And uh, it's just, yeah, I'm, 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 I feel like I'm, yeah, I'm speaking to a celebrity in uh, a game. No, no, no. I'm just, sport, I'm just so. the guy. I'm just the guy next door. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you I, so much for that. Thanks for, the, thanks for the opportunity. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Cheers. Stick I'll, in and I'll be watching to see what your results are. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you for joining us, Ron. That is uh, an interview I am very excited to listen to. I haven't, I haven't yet had the chance yet. So really good. We've been really keen to get someone on that, on that subject for a long time to join the show. So thank you. And actually, if you combine uh, that Ron with our other favourite Ron, Ron Morrison, we're really getting through St Andrews uh, University uh, experts. Well, you did mention Ron in, in, in the in the chat. Did, did you mention him? Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. So, You'll, uh, that, yeah, Ron yeah. on Ron, that'd be a great chat to sit on. <laughs> Ron squared, eh? Ron squared, exactly. Um, so this week, uh, other things... You know, it was quite interesting having, you know, listening to what he was he was chatting about, you know, with some of these guys and the training that they did and, you know, folk like Don Ritchie and uh, and, and, and Alistair Wood and things. But one thing that was, what was interesting, you know, some of this, you know, afterwards he told me some of the stories about Don after the interview and they were just amazing, you know, and quite, quite funny to listen to. Um, but, you know, when we talk about Don Ritchie's 100 kilometer world record, which was 40 years ago, um, we didn't really get into that in the interview, but something that actually happened at the weekend was the Hoka Project Carbon X2, 
results uh, or 100k world record attempt. I don't think you managed to watch it because you never had any internet. No, I was, I was just too busy staring at the wall. Yeah, but what I, 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 I didn't watch all six hours of it. You know, I watched some of it in the bath of, of, of all places. Um, but it was just an amazing, amazing run in terms of Jim Walmsley. He absolutely destroyed the field. Everywhere, there was a group of like five or six for the first sort of three and a half hours. And you could tell, you know, as, as a, someone who's run in 100K, all these five or six guys are running at world record pace. And it's not an easy record to, to beat. Even though it sounds like oh, sub six minute miles, a lot of listeners or not everyone, but some listeners can do that and they can do it for a good you know, 10, 20 miles, even even if not more. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the bottom line is he was uh, agonizingly short of the world record. 609.14, he ended up running 609.25, 11 seconds out in a six yeah. hour race. Ah, oh, it was just so hard to watch the last like kilometer you know you could see him looking at his watch going is he going to make it is he going to make it and it was it was you know it was basically like a kind of long runway it looked like anyway but yeah it was uh it was really exciting to watch just really did come down to the wire but um but yeah so that that was my my chat uh jim walls ended up 609 Chris Brown, 6.39.14. And in the women's race, I want to spend, you know, particular attention to Car- Carla Moni- Molly Molinaro, who ended up was leading the race for most of it. I think it was up to about 70, 80K. Uh, I think she toiled in the last, you know, the last three quarter, the last quarter of the race. Um, but yeah, I mean, she, Car- Carla got the world record, not the world record, the... FKT for the Land's End to Johnny Groot. Mm-hmm. So that was quite interesting to, to see her running for Hoka, but also as a GB athlete as well. Um, so anyway, she came fourth in 801.22. First was Audrey Tangai, 714.30.36. Nicole, Nicole Money, 743.18. And Courtney Olsen, 755.11. Camille Heron was also running with uh, Carla in the the early stages, but pulled out due to uh, hip injury. So that was that's all the results we have. But we do have one other result. Well, don't we? Just well, just before we finish in that, right? I what what I'm interested to know is that that I I'm, I'm I guess I'm trying to work out how good a run that is because on the face of it, the first reaction is oh, he almost broke the world record. That's amazing. But a how often is is this? How often is that distance run? And, 100k distance. Yeah, is that commonly run distance? It, I think it's it's more commonly run in trail races rather than road races, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, when you look at the, because I obviously I've I've had a look at some of these races, and I wouldn't say I'm in I'm in the know about all the every, every single type of ultra race, but you get a good hand on. The, the, the kind of regularity of, of some of these races but the the 100k I mean for example in the UK you've got maybe a couple of 100k races per year yeah. uh, and, and, and then that extends to all the other countries who've maybe got about the same and the US is probably a little bit more uh, 100k road races but generally speaking it's 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 down to you know trail 100ks and trail okay. 100 milers are more popular than road so that- it's 
it is the other, the other thing that comes to mind with me is so Jim Walmsley's like a two fifteen guy. Yeah. I just wonder if I would love to see a top Kenyan or Ethiopian, you know, an East African go for that sort of distance. Cause I just feel like these world records, I'm not, you know, we're not, they're not doubting how amazing that is. You know, it's an, it's an amazing time, but they're not that much, you know, there's two, two takeaways. One is it, it shows how impressive Don Ritchie was. What did Don Ritchie yeah. run? Like 620? No, it was 610. 610, right? Yeah. So, he's, so, only so just in, he's only just inside Don Ritchie. Yeah. He was in a string vest, 1970s nutrition or whatever it was, and 1970s shoes. Now, this guy, so yesterday, every single athlete was in state-of-the-art, brand-new Hoka Carbon X2. That was why yeah. they did it. It's a promotional opportunity. So I'm just, it makes me think Don Ritchie was an absolute beast, first and foremost. Yeah. And secondly, I just think the marathon has progressed so much since then. Is it because the is it because that the top top athletes aren't going for this? I'm not taking anything away. I'm, I know the ultra listers on here will probably be furious right now, but is it because the top top guys at marathon aren't stepping up? I think there's a mix, really. I mean, firstly, you you only have to look at the. I mean, the the world currently the world records uh, held by Japanese guy uh, Neo Kazami which was broken in 2018 um, which was you know only a couple hours ago a couple hours a couple of years ago um, and that was that was broken that was Don Ritchie's 100 kilometer record okay. so that stood for almost 40 years in fact I think it was exactly 40 years um, which is incredible when you think about when Don was running it was in a Mental. pair of plimmies you know in a pair of Jimmy like it's crazy Crazy. crazy. And, and, you know, none of this nutritional strategies. And I mean, I'm sure there was an element of, you know, Ron Mon speaks about some of the nutritional strategies that, 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 uh, that Don, Don under, under, Ron underwent. Don. <laughs> um, and then also like the, the side, what we know now in terms of splits and things like that, you know, 40 years ago, you learned so much within that 40 years in the, the, the ultra running sport. Um, mm-hmm. But I've got to say, like, it's a great time from Jim. I do think uh, a lot of the the marathon runners are start. Some of them are starting to step into ultra running, and the I'm not, again, I'm not taking away from any of the, the the marathoners out there. But if you're a if you're someone like Jim who's running, I, I think Jim can run a, a faster two time than two fifteen. But if you're running a two fifteen two sixteen. You're not going to make hundreds of thousands of pounds in in, no. in, in, in marathon run. You know, you might you might win the odd local race and you might get a, a couple of grand from it. But in terms of ultra running, there's there's a lot of ultra runners here able to run professionally and be sponsored by some of the brands like Hoka and Nike, uh, Ultra. Uh, who else have we got? We've got New Balance now. We've got we've got all these like. Who else? Have I, Adidas, Terex, uh, all these folks. So the, the, some of these runners who are at that level are now being salaried. But there's also a skill with ultra running where you, it, not all marathoners, not all distance runners can run ultras because of the sheer demands yeah. on 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 your body and perhaps even the makeup. And I think that's where, why some of the the Africans haven't excelled because they're you know there's talks. I was listening to. And I was also reading a couple of books and they're saying, you know, because they haven't got as, as big quadriceps, some of them maybe don't, uh, don't perform as well in, in, in some of the big mountain races. So 
Um, it's all you know. I think it's all all to do with different. You know, so many different factors out there that a whole podcast, perhaps not one like ours, could would, we could delve into in terms of the the uh, variability variability of of runners and how well they can excel at ultra running. So, mm-hmm. yeah. You know me. I mean, I've talked about this before. I find it fascinating, and I'm sure that the day that I step onto an ultra, that I'll I'll instantly become you know. I'll instantly realise that it's absolutely, and I'm not, I'm not belittling it at all. I just, I can't even get my head around the mental, the mental aspect of it, let alone the physical aspect of it. The physical must be brutal. I but, think, uh, uh, yeah, the thing, the thing about 100k is, uh, I, I find if I was to go longer, yeah, there's not as much emphasis on on splits. But when I go back to the 100k I did in Perth, like you're looking, you're going, right, I want to get this particular time, but you're still looking at your watch, going, oh, I need to hold that pace and. It's it's like a it's a long way 100k, but it doesn't really seem that far when you you look at the pace that you want to run. It, it, it's quite hard to like you, you've still got you've got minimal time to to really recover. You can't take a couple of minutes off. Whereas when it comes to 100 mile or 24 hours, you know you, you can take a couple of minutes here and there. You know, um, yeah. So uh, and actually one one thing about the, that the guy who the whole, who holds the world record Kazami. He's a full time. He works full time. Aye, you know, that which is crazy, you know. And <laughs> that's another thing I, I thought when I was reading up about the the record and the history of it, and Dawn and and this the Japanese lad who who beat it uh, a week after Dawn died. I mean, it's crazy that this guy works a full time job, you know. Uh, you, you know, running at five a.m. and running in the afternoon. It's mental. Absolutely it's mental. a bit like uh, Yuku Kawichi, yeah. You know, was he oh, not? Yeah. Was he not working full time? But then did, that, yeah. that goes that goes back to the you know similar to what you're saying about in in France you know just not just the infrastructure but um, you know the, the kind of corporate setup in Japan teams, where they, they 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 fund them you know the employers will seek out athletes to work for them and you know they might have they might not have a, a highly skilled CEO role but. They, they might just be on working the in the admin side, but then they get to train as much as they can. But they, well, especially if they're representing the company at these big academies, which is massive, massive TV events, then I guess that's the bonus. And actually, on, on a summer subject, there's a Paris Ecadem. Oh, is there? Oh, I need to get into that, Tony. Summer. So I'm definitely, I really want to get involved in that. So either if there's a, if there's a, if I can get into the club team, great. If I can't get in the club team, I'm going to harass the total management to put on a team and try to get a corporate <laughs> team in. Let me see if they want to give me a, a, a afternoon a week to train. That would be oh, you should you should have um you should have checked your contract carefully before you signed it and yeah that would have been uh, that would be nice eh? oh well yeah. anyway that'll be good um, track anyway yeah so that's really interesting what was your other bit of news you had the other result that you had the other result was uh, Adam Craig so not Adam sorry apologies Adam do we Adam? <laughs> I was gonna say, what's Adam Craigman up to? Neil Gurley. Yeah, uh, oh, of course, yeah. Done a thousand a, a thousand meters in two eighteen something. And I think it's uh is it not the third quickest time in in, in Scottish history? Is that not right? Oh, do you know what that that is this is how offline I've been. That's totally gone under the radar for me. The only thing I saw in Scottish Athletics was we'll come to it is Mark Monroe signing off. But um Okay, what so what did Neil do and where did he do it? So yeah, he uh, he did it. Uh, he's lucky enough to be in the US, uh, and he caught two eighteen sixty sixty eight, 
1K indoors, 1,000 metres indoors to take the win. The facility record as well. The Hokey, <laughs> sounds like the Hokey Cokey Invitation, the Hokey Invitational. Um, so that brings in the all-time list. Uh, Jake Whiteman obviously got her last year, 217.51, the Scottish record. Uh, Neil's time is closed on second. No, still, David Strang's got the second place. In 1831, back in 1993, so he's third quickest, which is yes, pretty amazing to be honest. It's not really a time, well, it's also a top five in the UK all-time list, so you know, Blame but it's, it, it isn't really a, a distance that's run that often, but it's still a, a pretty quick performance, and I'm sure you'll be delighted with that time, no doubt. Um, also, there's a couple of other folk who were running, uh, Nicole Jurgen. She's a sprinter who's had recent Scottish eligibility um, in 2020, I think. She clocked 53.25 for the indoor 400 metre run. I think it might have been this. I think, yeah, it was the same meet, I think. Um, not too sure on that. And uh, yeah, Aidan Thompson from Ron Hill was also running. And I think he was third. What was he doing? He was doing an, an event, the Belmont Cross Country track and field um, so yeah well done I think he's also in America as well now so great results from some of the Scots and I think that's all the results we have very good so in terms of we, while we stay in Scottish athletics then the other one bit of news from last week was that the, the marathon project has expanded its ranks in Scotland so I knew seven athletes have been added to the programme so the marathon project as you'll probably listeners will probably remember was was a few years ago, um, in 2019, in fact, with the aim of, of developing marathoning in Scotland so that with the 2022 Commonwealth Games coming up in Birmingham, that Scotland would have would be able to field full teams at the marathon distance. But, you know, uh, I think, you know, despite the success of Callum and we've seen Robbie's medal at, um, at the, the Commonwealth Down Under, that there's, there's been years and we haven't maybe filled a full team. So, the program has been really successful and we've had a, you know, we've known a, we've known a few athletes, uh, including you know, my own wife, Fiona, is, is on there and they've expanded that actually. So we've seen last week that they have added um, Sarah Ingalls, which I think is a no brainer. Uh, we, we saw Sarah is a name we know well, ran really well in the half last year and then closed the year with a, with a great marathon debut right on the, just, just outside the standard for the Olympics. So she'll go to the trial in, in good spirits. Mary McLennan, Inverness Harrier, TRS interviewee. So Mary is a really, Mary's strong at cross country. Mary's super strong on the uh, was at 10K. So it's really interesting to see how she goes stepping up to marathon over the coming years, you would suspect. On the men's side, Adam Craig joins, another TRS guest who we're not surprised at all about with two really good halves last year, including the world half, which is cool. Um, Jamie Crow has been added, uh, which again, TRS interviewee, uh, really, you know, real, really stepped up and gone to a new level over across country and 10k over the last couple of years. So I think Jamie, when he eventually yeah. makes it, he's been a national champ as well, isn't he? National champ, of course. Yeah, that's right. So I suspect that Jamie will. I would be. I'm. I was surprised to see him on there with a marathon in mind, uh, as I was with the next name, Sean Chambers. Uh, Sean, who was on, Sean runner up for uh, uh, TRS athlete of the year. Uh, I actually thought those two were names I'd, I, I would be surprised if we see them do the marathon in the next couple of years, but I guess they're on there for development purposes because they're both 
you know, top class, uh, top class athletes at, at 10K and, and Sean has run a really strong half. Yeah. Antrim last year ran 65 minutes. James Donald, another athlete, Dundee Hawks ran really well at half last year. So another one development, which is no brainer. And Johnny Glenn or Glenn yeah. Johnson, as he's been, as he was named in a WhatsApp group that I'm in. So, I mean, I mean, <laughs> Glenn Johnson. Glenn Johnson, I thought was excellent. So Glenn Johnson has been added to the, the, um, the marathon project as well. Another well-deserved one. And it's, so it's, when you look at it, right, you've got, you, would, you would argue, and it's a testament to what's to the state of athletics in Scotland. And it's a testament to the athletes and their coaches, I think. I'm not sure. I'm yet, I'm yet to be convinced that the programme is driving the, the change, but maybe by encouraging more athletes at Marathon, that is creating this inherent spirit of Marathon and, and participation, which is driving the, the results. Because if you look at the, the, the sort of the wider uh, team now, it's, you would be shocked, absolutely shocked, if you didn't have two full teams at the Commonwealth. Yeah. You'd be shocked if you didn't have two men and two women at the Olympics let alone the Commonwealths. I know. It's, it's that good a team, eh? I mean, it's that, it just shows the quality of elite athletes in Scotland at the moment. Um, my, my question to Scottish athletics would be, why is there not, why is this called the Marathon Project now? Because there's enough, and if they're all going to Marathon, great, but what's wrong with supporting athletes at 10,000 and half? Because I, I think I look at names on that list, and I know athletes who are, who've not join the marathon project because they're not marathoners who would still benefit from support at five and ten thousand and i'm not convinced maybe i'm way off the mark here but i'm not convinced we're as flush at 10 and 5 as we are at marathon to be honest so for the commonwealth again i'm i i i think i'm I'm surprised it's not just become like an endurance program because i look at the athletes on there and i look at you look at other athletes across the country um, I mean, Morag Miller is one that shouts out to me, you know, is top class runner, national cross country winner, runs so well at five and 10. Surely she would have a, she would have a Commonwealth ambition. I guess you've got Ailish at 10 is maybe why, because you've got athletes at the higher funding tiers. But I just think it's, I think there's, a, I, I don't know. I, I think that there's a, there's a danger that we, we miss athletes. Yeah. And that's that's me speaking completely uninformed about what's what support other athletes and maybe some of the the up and coming, you know, people in their mid twenties are getting. You know, maybe they are getting funding. I just don't see it. But it's it's becoming such a big marathon squad that for me it, it's creating a bit of a gap. Saying, well, wait a minute, what about the, the top club athletes who want to run five and ten? Are they how are they being supported? I think when you look at you know other governing bodies and. In a sport in the UK, sport English athletic, I don't think they're doing anything like this. And I think the initiative with something like this is has to start somewhere and then potentially have a project, in other areas and disciplines. Um, but I, I think it's a, a a great start. I think it's something that's certainly going to develop. And yeah, and, and and if we're starting to see the fruits of our labour when it comes to times, and if we get a full squad for the marathon, then absolutely goes from there. Eh? So. Absolutely. And I'm not, I think it's a fantastic thing. I think it's great. And actually, I think almost as a proof of concept, it's proven that athletes want to get in, athletes welcome support and welcome uh, and, you know, initiative. And I'm sure if it wasn't for COVID last year, there would have been some amazing times. I mean, I know, you know, frustratingly, Fiona, as one who's on the project, was all set to run really well last year and ifs and buts and all that. So hopefully this year they, they get better opportunities. So hopefully. anyway, I would love, I would love to, if anyone in Scottish Athletics, is listening to this, which I doubt, and or anyone who's got to like has an in, has wants to provide an insight into what 
else is happening, I, I would be very interested to hear. And, and speaking of Scottish athletics, we just want to, I guess, give a tip of the cap to Mark Monroe, who is who's stepping down um, from his role as CEO, which we knew uh, was coming. We, um, that's you know it was announced a while ago, but he's now is is stepping down. He's heading to to the UK Athletics to be their development director, which is which is a great great role for him. You know, really well deserved, and he's done so much. When you look at how well athletics has developed in Scotland during his tenure as CEO, it's been it's been incredible. And even before that, when he was head of development, so I think I think um, yeah, it's a, it's sad to see him go, and, and we thoroughly enjoyed having him on TRS. All right, and we look forward to getting him on TRS again yeah. when he's in his new job. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening, Mark. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, brilliant. What a, what a great asset he's been to this to Scottish athletics and, and just driving change. I've been a member of Scottish athletics and as a as a junior to senior, and just it's night and day. You know, when it comes to decades ago, like it really is. Um, the, the the standard of athletes we have, and not only um, you know from from elite sport, but grassroots level as well. Like you know, and all the different pathways. I think it's brilliant. Um, hopefully we can continue to, yeah, make make a, a huge change to athletics in Scotland. So one one thing, while you you talk, you made a point there about moving from junior to senior athlete and just being a member of athlete, Scottish athletics. I've seen a few things on social media recently, and I'm going to call it out. Those of you who are saying you're not going to renew your Scottish athletics memberships this year, you're a dick. Don't be a dick. <laughs> right? This is. I don't care if you're not getting races and therefore you're not saving two pounds on your, your race. It's something like 20 quid a year. You have, it's an opportunity now to support at Scottish Athletics in a time when they need to be supported. Now, you don't, if everyone was as selfish as the people, and it's many people I've seen making this comment on, on ridiculous forms like RFS, if everyone took the, the position you're taking, there would be no Scottish Athletics on the other side of this pandemic. So yeah. do, do the sport a favour, do all the young people in the sport who are getting encouraged through grassroots a favour, do all the athletes a favour, do the staff of Scottish Athletics who are paid a favour and do all the other initiatives that Scottish Athletics do a favour beyond just giving you £2 off your races and renew your membership. Uh, I, know, I know some club runners who are, who, are, who are taking that position. I know some morons who are taking that position. So... Uh, and, and to some of them, that's just your opinion. Well, good for you. This is my opinion. Don't be a dick. Renew your Scottish Athletics membership. I got my email this morning. I'm going to be renewing. Um, I think it's uh, a real, a real gripe of mine. So, rant over. Um, you know, it's not even that much money as well in the grand scheme of things. Exactly. It, you know, you know, for everyone, it's everyone that's different. But when you you see the return and and what you you give and what you know what, what we just chatted about, we wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for we wouldn't have any chat if it wasn't for you know just the development of the governing body. And I, I think it really is important to you know just support support what your sport is. Um, and at the end of the day, it does come back to you in some shape or form, directly or indirectly comes back to you it comes back to the club as well the club that you run for as well they you know the, the clubs are supported by Absolutely. the government as well um, clubs insurance your club has insurance to do its races to do its training more often than not that insurance is coming is either through Scottish Athletics or UK Athletics so it's 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 a funded piece the marathon places that your clubs are getting for the London Marathon again 
that is because your club, because Scottish Athletics as an organisation exists. Mm-hmm. Um, the support that, you know, the coaching, all the coaching qualifications that your clubs, your club's coaches are taking that are organised by Scottish Athletics, you know, the discounts that you get on the run for it and all this. I mean, it's, there are so many benefits. And again, I know some people are a bit miffed at, oh, wow, we haven't seen any race from Scottish Athletics. We haven't done this and that and the other. If you've got a concern, raise it to your club and ask them to raise it to Scottish Athletics. Yeah. You know, I've been the first. I've moaned about Scott, some of the decisions from Scottish Athletics over the years. Everyone moans. That's one thing. But I think to, to be a dick and be like, oh, I'm not. Because obviously the emails are all coming out now to renew. And I was shocked to see people taking that position. The same people who don't renew them. Would you not renew your own club membership? I mean, come on. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, and you know, like, yeah, it's you're bang on. What you said is bang on. It's what I believe in. So, yeah, ran over, ran, ran over. Is that our, another running rant for a while? Eh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we have it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, going from uh, going from running rants to you know, we, we we had running race results. We've had we haven't got upcoming races. But what we do have is uh, we have an upcoming run, uh, Rabbi Burns poem, eh? Oh, so yes. I think, uh, you know, I, I had a little practice before we went on air and <laughs> diabolical, to say the least. So, tell Same me. About, like, this is like primary school, mate. You remember at primary school, you have to, used to have to do a Burns reading. I couldn't read back in primary school. I only took <laughs> me secondary, though. So. Uh, so, who's going first then? Are we going to... Are we gonna do the the two a mouse then, or, or what we're we gonna well, do? I'm going I'm going Tam Tam Shanta because there's a line in Tam Shanta that I think is uh, is great for the show and also Tam. <laughs> well, you crack on then. Right, I'm gonna go. I'm just going two. I'll just go two uh, two verses. It's because a long one. So Tam Shanta, and if you're on your run, I hope this entertains you. Me and Kyle butchering Burns. <laughs> when Chapman Billy's leave the street and Druthy neighbors neighbors meet. As market days are wearing late and folk begin to tack the gate, while we sit bowsing at the nappy and getting foo and uncle happy, we think now the lang scots miles, the mosses, waters, slaps and styles that lie between us and our hame, where sits our sulky sullen dame, gathering our brows like gathering storm, nursing our wrath to keep it warm. This true and true and honest Tam Shanter, as fay air a night did canter. All dare one near us, tune surpasses for honest men and bonny lasses. Nice. A little round of applause there. Very <laughs> really good. I, w- I just, I need a whiskey for that. I would have gone on, but it's, a, it's lengthy. So before wow. we, well, maybe if, if it's a feature that gets well received, maybe we can do them in the future. But anyway, without further ado, Mr. Kyle Gregg and his Ode to a Moose. Oh, what a moose. Okay, so we slick it, cowering timless beastie. Oh, what's a panic's in thy breastie? Though needna start the way so hasty, we bickering brattle. I would be left to run and chase thee, we murdering pattle. And truly sorry man's dominion has broken nature's social union and justifies that ill opinion which makes thee startle at me, thy poor earthborn companion and fellow mortal. I doubt na wheels, but though they thieve, what then, poor beastie, though man live? And demon ecker in the thave, Samak request, I'll get the blessing with a lave. I never missed it. Anyway, that's uh, bravo, <laughs> bravo, excellent. Well, I absolutely butchered that one. It tells the fans he's he's on his second windswept from what I've counted <laughs> during the show. So. Bravo. So let, let's. 
let us know what you think, listeners, of of uh, of TRS does burns. Maybe it can at least I put a bit of uh, a, bit, feature. A, a bit of Scottish in there. You know, you you were you, you were kind of going a bit French on me there. Yeah, maybe that was maybe that's my problem. And actually, <laughs> listeners, if you've re- if you want to read your favourite burns and send it in, that would be excellent. Well, we should have done that. Should have done right, that's yes. for sure. Definitely. Well, I well, think before we wrap up, Kyle, one thing I want to jump on, TRS run of the week. I don't know if you saw this, but nope. I'm combining it. There's two things I want to do. I want to wrap up two things in one. One is a, yeah. a shout out to, to super fans of TRS uh, and friends of TRS. Another is to, is to award TRS run of the week. So congratulations to Neil and Katie Reno, who had a baby last week. And uh, we shout this out because Neil is a guy who we've wa- wanted to get on the show for a while after a race with, last year with his injury and his, and his thing it never happened we still mean to do that so Neil and, K- and Katie his wife is a they're both listeners which is cool so they had a baby who has been uh, I thought so I was really impressed baby Jasper Reno which Neil gave us uh, in a bit of chat on the weekend has nominated as TRS run the week because he's already been out banking miles in his buggy so Aww. there we go Jasper Reno he's about a week that. old and he is TRS run of the week Oh, what a guy. What a guy. Well, well done, Jasper. Um, you know, I hope you've enjoyed TRS this week. <laughs> well, it's the first ever podcast you've listened to. You'll be falling asleep, to, to, falling asleep to Uncle Kyle's old <laughs> I don't think that would make people fall asleep. I think, uh, oh, geez, oh, God knows what I'll do to people. Anyway, well, that's great. Well, Folks, if you do want to get in contact with us, you can get us in the usual channels on uh, tartanrunningshorts at gmail.com. You can get us on Facebook. You can like us there. You can follow uh, some of the pro- our progress, any updates about the podcast. But also on Instagram, we're, we're seven away from 1,000 likes on, on Instagram. So if anyone's not following us Insta- Instagram yet, Get yourself follow, follow us so we can get to that elusive 1k mark and we'll get a a wee uh, a wee gold badge next our our podcast hopefully. Yeah? So other than that, how's your week looking, Tom? My week's looking pretty quiet under lockdown. Um, I'm having to again first world problem, but I'm having to run. I'm not you know me. I'm not a five o'clock in the morning runner, but I'm having to get start getting my out of my scratch a wee bit earlier to run because I can't run in the evening. So. Mornings of running, and then on the weekend, uh, I might do a try going a bit further afield again for a run. Um, Very good. Yeah, really quiet, yeah. mate. You know, life under lockdown, same as everyone. Yeah. Hang in so there, folks. We know lockdown is grim and it's shit right now, but hang in there. Hang in there, folks. You know, at least we can still get out for our runs at the moment. So, you know, just just get out there, listen to us rambling away. You'll you'll be you'll be finished in no time, no doubt. So. Absolutely. And you know, if end. you've done, if you've done run, Ravi, run, keep going. <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> Just keep going. There keep going go. to Valentine's Day. We'll we'll take the Boris Johnson approach. We'll just keep talking to. We'll just keep using arbitrary arbitrary targets about religious festivals. So, or random festivals. So keep going to keep, let's keep going to uh, Valentine's Day. Then maybe we'll after that we'll see if we can keep going to like Show Tuesday or something. Whatever's <laughs> next, and then yeah, Easter will be next. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for listening to us, folks. Here's Ali McIver. Okay, so there's two things that I forgot to mention on this week's show. Number one is uh, just an update on the Muddy Way Ultra series. 
The Dava way is now full, which is fantastic. Um, we aren't going to be opening up any more entries just because of COVID um, and the numbers having to be limited. The other way, though, is you can't. There's limited spaces for the whole series, um, for the Dava way, the Murray Coastal Trail, as well as the Murray 100. Um, or you, you can actually enter those those individual events um, if you pop along the website it's murraywayultras.com so have a look and see if there's anything that tickles your fancy and the second bit of news that I wanted to mention um, was the Pyland Endeavour team were I, again this week they were doing one team one week 1000 miles which is fantastic um, They've done a great job in raising over £5,000 for Scottish Association for Mental Health, Sam H. Um, what a great job. I know they did achieve the 1,000 miles uh, with a little bit of spare change. So, yeah, well done to you guys. Brilliant result and uh, all for a great cause. If you do want to donate, you can go to justgiven.com forward slash fundraising forward slash endeavour 2021 and donate. And the, yeah, I think that's it. So apologies for adding this extra bit in. It's uh, a little bit of a bonus content for you guys. And yeah, as we said, we'll speak to you all in the next couple of weeks. Thank you. That's a wrap.